Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. You can also access the podcast via various different uh, methods. There's websites, there's iTunes. You can check out a recent post on my website, jogger.co.uk. And Andrew, are you going to put it on yours? Yeah, yeah, acgspatial.co.uk. And that will tell you various different ways to access the podcast. You can also review us on iTunes. Uh, please do do that. The more reviews we get and uh, ratings we get on iTunes, the more people will be able to find this podcast. Let's do the news. Do you know Jupiter Notebooks? I do know Jupiter Notebooks. <laughs> Did you see um, yesterday, the 20th of February, that they released something called Jupiter Labs or Jupiter Lab? I had heard about this a while ago. I think I must have seen a an alpha or something. So what have they done with Jupiter Labs? Well, it's a much more integrated environment that they've released. I've hardly had a chance to look at it. I did. I did think about live podcasting installing it but it's, <laughs> I'm so lucky I think to be able to use pip install and it says pip install Jupiter lab or labs I forget I forget the um if it's plural and off you go it, it installs and, and you can use it and uh, you know I barely I barely touched it but the point for me is that this year I have really started embracing Jupiter notebooks and a turning point for me was when I was showing someone some code in Jupyter Notebooks, and they were actually following along a non-code person, and it ma- it made sense. I, I know I should have been using Notebooks more than I have been, but I tend to use um, the Spider ID. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah, 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 and just show that to people if I'm trying to show my code to someone. And okay, I'll have to look at Jupyter Lab and see whether that can be more useful to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I barely looked at it just 10 minutes or so this morning, but I was really excited to see it. Python, for me, is, is my sort of core programming language. And yeah. I like to keep a track of latest things. I'll be interested to um, speak to you again once you've had a look at it properly and see what you think. In other news that I meant to say first, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just got uh, sidetracked, but... I can't believe it's five years since Landsat 8 was launched. I know. Yeah, time has flown on that one. But it's such a great platform. I mean, it's robust and it's giving out amazing imagery and some of the um, reprocessing that they're doing uh, over at the USGS in order to get uh, level two products out. I mean, yeah, Landsat 8 is everything it promised and more. And we can only hope that Landsat 9 is well on the way to, to getting up there. I think that I've seen information before saying that Landsat 8 is over delivering so it's delivering more data per day than it was originally scoped to do it's phenomenally successful so yeah it's been the workhorse for me at least for the last five years and I can't believe it's five years yeah and I think I mean the Landsat program I would guess has inspired the Sentinel program as well and it's great to have Landsat 8 and Sentinel 2 data that although not directly drop-in replacement, they are compatible. And the amount of information that's coming down as openly available data sets now is just amazing. Yeah, brilliant. What else you got then on the news this week? What else have I got? Well, I saw at the weekend that ESA have scheduled the launch of Sentinel-3B. 
the mid-April, April the 25th. Ah, cool. Okay. I missed that one. So that's going to be the second of Sentinel-3. So I think they're going to fly slightly differently to Sentinel-2, which which has a... um, Actually, scrap that. I don't know what they're going to fly. (laughs) 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 I I think it's great that that it's been scheduled and I look forward to seeing more information about the satellite launch. I assume with both satellites of Sentinel-3 up, it's going to be a decent time series of data, but using this almost semi-continental-wide type of data set would be really cool for just allowing you to look at all sorts of new problems and and try and sort them out. Yeah. Okay, following on from last podcasts film review i've got another film review (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna do the oscars the uh scene from above oscars (laughs) excellent we should definitely do that um i watched something called mission control the unsung heroes of apollo which is a documentary basically about if someone says by the end of this decade we're gonna get someone on the moon how the hell do you do that and keep it working and make sure that the people who are on the moon are um, safe and and okay and able to communicate and everything else. So it's the story of how mission control got set up, first of all, because initially it wasn't in Houston. Um, So they set up a basic mission control, I think, for the Gemini program, which was somewhere in Florida. And then as part of the upscaling of, of Apollo to make everything just generally bigger, they moved it out to Houston and they got all these people doing specific roles and everything else. And it's brilliant. They interview some of the people who were there. Um, They go through the timeline of um, the Apollo series of missions, right from the tragedy with Apollo 1 up until the moon landing, and then also Apollo 13 and how they got back from that, and right the way through to the end of Apollo. So, yeah, it's another one. If you're into space, it's well worth a watch. Have you got other films lined up to watch? I'm just looking at uh, IMDb. <laughs> the Last Man on the Moon is being recommended to me. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I will, uh, I'll add it to my list. Okay, so I'm expecting a review next time. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you saw the launch of um, the Falcon Heavy. I mean, some of the imagery that's coming back from that, the, the video imagery was amazing. Yeah, bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. Uh, what, what was your overriding feeling when you saw the two um, side rocket, side boosters land? Oh, it, it didn't really matter what else was going to happen with that mission. Just for them to have a bit of video of two rockets landing side by side, that's their job done. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you invest in a company that amazing? <laughs> it was just the coolest thing I've seen for a long time. And I don't know if you saw, but there's also um, some really interesting videos on YouTube at the moment that are of the the rockets landing, but with the natural sound. So you get the sonic booms, double sonic booms coming in. Okay, yeah, I think uh, I've seen that. It is rather good. I just just felt very satisfied by it. Yeah. It's a strange emotion to say, isn't it? But I just thought, I can just imagine someone going, sort of almost ticking a clipboard. Yep, we've done that. You know, there, there is definitely a kind of euphoric moment of like, wow, that that is amazing. But there's also this kind of saying, yeah, we can do that. It, yeah. That's that's pretty amazing. I think the thing that's, for me, that's really strange as well is that, I don't know, 10 years ago, things were being fired up into the air and then they were just either burning up or splashing down somewhere and breaking up and never to be seen again. And now we're getting rockets coming back and it's almost like, well, yeah, of course. 
of course we got the, those two rockets come down. Yeah, that that was the plan. The plan worked. It's all. I wasn't necessarily thinking. Oh, I wonder if they're going to get those rockets back. It's like, yeah, of course they're going to get those rockets back. Yeah. And the, the the ease at which we normalize out these amazing engineering technical feats is um, quite interesting. Another bit of news. There's a lot of news this week, isn't there? I think that's the one thing we're good at is news. <laughs> 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 the other thing I wanted to talk about was something called Sabian. It is specifically designed to provide the software that is useful for processing synthetic aperture radar data. So everything in it is open source and freely available. Uh, so there's no copyright infringements or licenses for the software or anything like that. Cool. And it's got an absolute ton of stuff in it. So it's got Snap, uh, ASF MapReady, and Pyrosar. It's got Pulsar Pro in it. And uh, there's a whole raft of things for SAR interferometry. There's GIS packages in there. And then it has also a Python and an R implementation. I haven't downloaded it yet. I want to. I want to have a, a look at it. But it's a brilliant idea. It's put yeah. out by EO College, which is um, a group over in Germany. Shall we go on to our topic then? Uh, yes. So what's our topic this time around then, Andrew? Let's talk about time-lapse data, specifically time series data. Okay. One of the things that got released in August last year was Google Earth Engine time-lapse. And it's one image, I think it's per year, or maybe it's per month, maybe it's per month, that you can track changes going on. I think it's per year. I'm just looking at it now. And, and it's really, really visually quite compelling to see this and I went on to the Google Trends site. Do you know the Google Trends where you can put in uh, various search terms and see how they trend over time? Oh yeah, yeah. You can go back from 2004 to, to present. So I looked for time series over the last five years and there is a spike in, in the, during the release of the time-lapse of, of Google imagery, of this, the Google time-lapse. <laughs> And it's really quite, ca it's, re it's obviously captivated people at this point in time. It's just, it's just a spike. And if you, <laughs> if you plot other things alongside in new trends, I, I plotted time series, remote sensing and GIS and remote sensing barely scratches the surface, but GIS is much higher. I think I can create a URL from that. So I'll, I'll make a URL and, and put it in the notes. Well, it just shows the effect that Google has and, and certainly some of their visualizations through Earth Engine or, or Google Earth. That's really interesting. I mean, time series generally are what remote sensing is all about. You have your three different resolutions, your spectral resolution, your spatial resolution, but you also have the temporal resolution. And in terms of being able to create these sort of change maps over time, whether that's a, a dedicated change in, in something that you've processed up or whether it's just a, a visualization of how the imagery changes over time is what that whole temporal resolution thing is all about. I mean, we, we have companies now like Planet who are trying to create daily images, aren't they, of the entire Earth. Yeah. But then you also have those satellites that have a, a, a longer return period. Like, well, Landsat, let's take that for, as an example. I mean, you get yeah. one, maybe two uh, images a month from that. And then those that are much, much shorter. So some of the meteorological satellites, and maybe we'll come back and talk about that in a bit, where you're looking down to a matter of minutes to, to 
you get more data. Did you see that series that UMETSAT published to, I think it was YouTube? What was that? All of the climate data for 2017. Oh, right. No, no, I didn't see that. So you can, so they talk over it and, and, and they describe what's happening, but also it tracks the hurricanes. That's what I was drawn to. It's, it's about 10 minutes long. It's worth watching, but it shows you the path of the hurricanes and how, how they followed each other in, in, in the season and, and how hurricanes like Hurricane Harvey got more vigorous as they swept onto land. And that's what I like about time series. I mean, it, it's sort of evidence-based, isn't it? When you look at the melting of ice or the retreating of glaciers in time series, you can see that and it's quite stark. And, you know, you'd think that that would inform governmental policy or you can see the explosion of uh, cities, perhaps in Asia. Uh, certainly in China, you can see Shanghai expand at a phenomenal rate. Talking of exploding, I'm going to shoehorn this one in. So Indonesia's Mount Sinabung in North Sumatra erupted on the 18th of February. And there is an amazing image taken from the Himawari 8 satellite, which is a geostationary meteorological satellite. So it captures imagery uh, every 10 minutes, I think, yeah. uh, for the entire earth disk that it's it's looking at and um yeah we'll put a link into this but it's brilliant you can just basically see the entire plume going from nothing to the initial eruption and then the dissipation of the plume and this is all over a matter of a couple of hours it's really interesting it is interesting isn't it and it and again it's the evidence base of it that, you know you know it's happened you can see the static images when they're threaded together in time series it makes such a compelling visualization Really fascinating. Yeah. I think it was last year, and the Sentinel-1 satellites were capturing information down in Antarctica about the rift that was being created. Oh, this is the iceberg? Yeah, the massive iceberg. That yeah. Some of the imagery that I saw, the animations that were on Twitter, and really, really impressive. And, it, and it's really powerful as well. I, I showed that to someone, again, who's... Now, they're interested in the environment and they're interested in the various things around climate change, but they, they're not people who use space data or, or Earth observation imagery. And then to, to show them that, it really meant they connected with it and they could see what the issue was. And then they started sharing it with their friends and then it got a bit of a discussion going on Facebook. And I think the power of being able to see changes over time using these images and and certainly now that we can sort of create these animations and videos from them is a really powerful tool to get people who aren't natural earth observation data users to try and come and engage with us yeah i mean i i felt that that iceberg was a really good example wasn't it it was a really good example in the case for radar data i was fascinated by how it moved away how the berg moved away from the land how part of it was, well, it, it seemed to me to be faster in the, I think it's in the southern part. I'm not quite sure the orientation of the image, but on, on the bottom of the image, um, it moved faster than the top part. And I don't know if that's a common way or if it's, if they all break apart in different ways, but it, it contributes to the, the global pool of knowledge, doesn't it? And I think it's great. Yeah. So are there any issues with time series data? Good question. Thank you. <laughs> Next question. Are there any issues? I haven't really thought about this. Do you mean in terms of coverage? Well, yeah, so I, I was thinking about this. And because it's all very well having these nice images. And I suppose if all you're trying to do is create an animation of an image, then maybe 
there aren't so many issues. But the main things that you'd have to contend with are cloud. And then if you're looking at scientific measurements, um, you've also got to remove the atmosphere with using some form of atmospheric correction. And you also have to calibrate the image to make sure that what you're looking at in, say, I don't know, month one is the same as what you're looking at in month 10 in terms of the actual numbers. So oh, yeah. although you might be seeing change across that, you need to know that your range um, of data is calibrated and, and it's, it makes sense to compare one with one. So being able to compare like with like is probably the main issue that I can see with time series. One of the um, benefits of time series as we get more data is the idea that we can extract objects to count yeah. or following the course of a growing season. You might not necessarily view it as a video, but the, the time series, you're extracting information and building a graph or a pattern of information. Yes, I think trying to conflate your data in some way so that you have a, a message that you can get across is really important. So being able to visualize these time series data. And if you think of something like the Landsat archive, I mean, that goes right back right the way back for 40 years or so. So if you wanted to, you could have an amazing time series, but it's probably way more information in that time series, even if it's just for a single image, than the majority of people can, can comprehend. Yeah, being able to just handle the sheer volume of data that gets generated with time series, I suppose, is, is also an important issue. Yeah. And really, I mean, almost in summary, the, the, the biggest change we've seen in the last five years has been more launches, more satellites, and an increase in the temporal resolution. And that's that's only aiding to getting a better picture of whatever part of the planet you're interested in, whether it be a daily, weekly, monthly basis. That's been a really good and valuable discussion, I think, about time series. And uh, I mean, it's such a, a large area that I think if we are able, then we'll come back to it again at some other point and talk about maybe some of the specifics, because I'd really like to get down into talking about some of the meteorological imaging satellites. I think they get overlooked somewhat these days yeah. um, because of all the really cool images that are coming out of some of the, the land surface process um, satellites that are out there. But yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Cool. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And like I say, remember to keep tweeting, hashtag seen from above, and leave your reviews on iTunes if you can. But uh, other than that, thanks, Andrew, and see you next time. Thank you, Alistair. I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Was that something I put in or something you put in? <laughs>
section of mantle up beside me And it defied me How he was battered like a doll Three pieces and all appalled I rolled my windows down and he asked me Son, are you happy? And I just drove away Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.